Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome once again to Cross Central Church, our online service. It's great to have you this morning. Great to be with you this morning as we head towards Easter. We look forward to the Easter weekend where we, of course, um, remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the great gospel that has saved us and that brought us into life. Uh, and so we rejoice in um, what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And as we head towards Easter, what a great place to be in Romans chapter 5. Uh, as we're working our way through the book of Romans, we get to the second half of Romans chapter 5. And what a beautiful chapter it is. What a beautiful chapter it has been to remind us of the great gift of salvation. Uh, and last week, as we were in the first half, half of chapter 5, we were reminded of the great effects of the gospel, the implications of the gospel on our lives. Paul has reminded us that um, we have peace with God in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, that we uh, we walk uh, as, as children of God, no longer as enemies of God, because of the reconciliation that has taken place. And also having peace with God means we can have joy and hope in our midst of our suffering, that as we look at our lives, we realize that as we suffer, it's not the judgment of God at all, but in fact, God is at work uh, through our suffering. And so we rejoice in our suffering as it has a purpose uh, and is building character and perseverance as we uh, serve, serve our Lord and our God. And so when you have peace with God, you are able to look at life differently, experiencing your suffering differently, even realizing that God's love is demonstrated. Romans 5 verse 8. Not in my circumstances, but in the fact that he sent his son to die for me. We know that we are deeply loved by God. Paul tells us in uh, Romans 5, 6 to 8, loved by uh, God the Father. And uh, also we are saved from judgment. We are saved from the coming wrath, verses 9 to 11. And so we've seen these wonderful consequences of the gospel. Uh, we've seen these wonderful implications of the gospel. And uh, the Apostle Paul now turns his attention as he thinks about this great salvation. Um, he kind of wants to just reinforce uh, this understanding of the fact that we have been saved from the coming wrath. And he, so he, he, he introduces us to two men in this verses 12 through to 21. Two men. And he, he does a bit of a comparison uh, as, uh, as he, we, we, we read these verses together. You, hopefully you'll, you'll, it'll become very clear to you. Uh, how how uh, the Apostle Paul then really compares Adam with Jesus Christ. And so I've entitled this message, Adam versus Jesus. And hopefully the comparison that Paul draws in these verses will be of great encouragement to us and reminder to us as we head towards Easter of the beauty and the wonder of what it means just to be saved and what, what that event means for us. And the implications it has in our life. But let us pray, and I'll read the text and then we'll get straight into it. Father, we thank you and praise you that we can be here together this morning. Thank you for your love and your grace and your, your mercy that's at, at work in our lives. We thank you for our great salvation. We thank you for Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. Thank you that we have peace with God, we are loved by God, and that we are saved from the coming judgment and wrath on that day. And Lord, we pray that as uh, we continue through the book of Romans that you would encourage us deeply this morning. Once again, we would be reminded of what it means to be saved, this beautiful gift and the wonderful gift that it truly is. We ask that you would stir our hearts uh, and encourage us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Romans chapter 5, we'll be reading from verses 12 uh, through to 21. So, so just follow with me if you have your Bible. It would be great to have your Bible open if you are able at all. Uh, because it's quite a little technical passage, but a, but a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. So, reading from verse 12. 
Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men and women, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who was the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many sins and brought justification. For if by the sin of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who received God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men and women, so also the result of one act of righteousness will was justification that brings life for all men and women. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so through also, also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as far. Well, it's a it's a great passage, isn't it? You know, we are so used to comparisons from very early age, where you're sitting at preschool and primary school, and you have two friends sitting or three friends sitting, uh, comparing their dad's buckies or their dad's four by fours. My dad's four by four is is bigger than your dad's four by four. Or my four dad's four by four has got leather seats. Or my dad's four by four is able to pull a caravan. My dad's four by four is able to pull down a tree. You know, we we're so used to little conversations like that, comparisons, aren't we? You're drawing comparisons between two things, uh, and it and it comes cuts right across the board, even into the sporting world. The debate around who is the better player: is it Ronaldo or is it Lionel Messi? Um, you know, skills, we set our skills against one another. Uh, we see it on display in the Olympic Games where athletes run against one another to see who's better, who's got more strength, who's got more speed. And so comparisons are, are all around us, aren't they? You buy a cell phone, you check out its features, and when you upgrade, you want to make sure certainly that you're upgrading to a phone with, with even more better features. And so we are so aware and uh, fully aware of this concept of comparison. And in this little section of scripture, this is exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is taking two men, he introduces us to two men, Adam and Jesus. And in many ways, what Paul is doing for us, he is helping us to understand how great our salvation is by drawing a comparison between Adam and Jesus. And the comparison highlights a number of aspects of our faith and why Jesus is so much better and why what happened in Genesis chapter 3 is not a cataclysmic failure for those who are in Jesus Christ. In other words, what happened in Genesis chapter 3 has been totally, totally transformed and changed through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That sin and death no longer have to reign over our lives because they have been defeated by someone much better, someone far greater. And so the, the, the aim of this passage is really to remind the Roman believers, the Roman church, 
that what we have in Christ is more than able to save. What we have in Jesus is a complete and a finished work. A complete and a finished work. As disastrous as Genesis 3 was and the behavior of Adam and Eve, uh, so much so much more is powerful and successful and uh, achieving for our salvation is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so as we get into verse 12, you notice Paul mentions uh, starts with Adam uh, and so the first but the first man we are introduced to is, is Adam in verse 12 and then the gift the, the gift the comparison in verse 15 so verse 12 Adam and verse 15 Jesus so you can see the comparison quite clearly so let's start in verse 12 with Adam therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all men because all sinned and so what Paul reminds us of, that uh, sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and it came, through, it came into the world in the beginning. And so through this one man, death and sin are introduced. So in Adam, death comes to all men. Uh, in many ways, Adam is the represent, head, representative, sort of head of humanity. And as Adam and Eve sin in Genesis chapter 3, mankind, humankind, is thrown into a precarious position. Because through Adam, sin enters the world. Disobedience to God's word, turning his back on God's spoken word. When Adam and Eve disobeyed and chose to be tempted and chose to listen to Satan, death and sin enter the world. And from that day on, every human being has been deeply affected by, uh, by sin, has been deeply affected by that terrible uh, and disastrous day. Our entire world, our entire creation has been deeply affected uh, by that day. Uh, in, a little bit further in Romans chapter 8, Paul is going to tell us that uh, creation itself is, is under the bondage to decay. So a world in rebellion to God, a humanity in rebellion to God is only disastrous. And we've seen that in the first three or four chapters of, of Romans, haven't we? How Paul has painted this picture of human depravity painted this picture that there is no one righteous not even one there's no one this morning that can say oh i'm not guilty now we have all been led astray it's like the cyclist the one cyclist taking the wrong route and leading the entire peloton astray and set us on a path of rebellion against god and so we are all culpable before god Uh, we are all culpable we are all guilty there is no one this morning that can say that they are not sinful uh, for all have sinned and Paul tells us, and fall short of God's glory. And so sin and death enter the world through the rebellion of one man, Adam. And, uh, and, and the judgment of God burns against sinful human beings. The anger of God, the wrath of God, uh, we saw in Romans chapter 1, is already being poured out against those who live in rebellion against God. And so sin comes into the world and death comes with it. Spiritual death, physical death. We 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 are all under the the the, the, the we are all under the um, under the threat of death. Every one of us is going to die physically, and some of us spiritually are going to pay the price for our rebellion if we fail to respond to Jesus Christ. And so death comes and sin comes through Adam. Uh, and uh, notice that um, Paul reminds us then in verse thirteen and fourteen that the law, the Old Testament law never ever dealt with the problem of sin 
so Paul God continues, he reminds us that through Adam, uh, death and, and sin come into the world, but the law itself was never given to deal with the problem of sin. In fact, what the law did, Paul sort of takes a little diversion in verse 13 and 14 in his thinking, just to remind the Roman believers again to once again hit it home, the law was never given to save. The law was simply there to give, point us to the fact that we are sinners, to remind us, to show us how badly we have actually fallen. So what the law does, it doesn't save, it doesn't deal with the problem of the human heart. The law simply highlights this disastrous event and the culpability of all human beings. Notice that in verse 13, before the law was given, sin was in the world. So even before the law came, sin was active. But it was not taken into account. We didn't know how badly we were sinning, how badly we had fallen until the law told us. So you'll never know how skew a wall is until you put the spirit level against it. And that's exactly what the law does. It's the spirit level that, that we hold up against our lives and realize how badly and how far we fall short of the glory of God. And notice verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. So death and sin was at work even before the law came. Uh, even for those who did not sin by breaking a specific command, we were all sinful. Our hearts were in rebellion to God. So Adam broke a specific command. But ever since that time, uh, you and I, we, we, we might not be able to, to say, well, I murdered somebody or I killed somebody today. or I, but, but our hearts are constantly sinful, aren't they? Because there are so many sins that we are not even aware of, things we should be doing, but we're not doing. Uh, not just things that we, we should not be doing. And so, so before the law, the law calls us all to account. The law basically says to every single human being, uh, you are sinful and you fall short of God's standard. And so the law brings judgment, the law brings condemnation. The law reminds us how desperately we need the second man, how desperately we need uh, the, the man who is going to reverse everything that was brought into effect through Adam. So verse 12 to 13 and 14, we are introduced to Adam and we are reminded that we are all culpable and that we all stand guilty before God. But you see verse 15, there's a but. And wherever you see a but in scripture, you know that there's a huge change, a contrast. And we notice, but the gift is not like the trespass. In other words, the gift, the gift, Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation is nothing like the fall of mankind. As sin enters the world through Adam, salvation comes through Jesus, but it is greater and it is far better. It's not like the sin. It's far better. Do you notice, for if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, once again overflow to the many? So as sin brings judgment and brings death, uh, as as Adam's rebellion introduces us into the world and, 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 and makes us all culpable before God, well, through the trespass of one man, we are all we all fall. How much more then, God's grace, God's grace is demonstrated, and the gift that comes through the grace of one man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, through His death and His resurrection, secures for the many the grace of God. Isn't that an amazing thought that Jesus Christ is called the gift? The gift of grace comes to those who are in Christ. And so if we are in Adam, we are sinful and we face death and death hangs over our lives, both physical and spiritual death. In Jesus, the gift, the grace of God 
rules and reigns over our lives. And it overflows to all those who believe in Jesus. And so as Adam is the almost seen as the, the head or the humanity, the, the, the representative of humanity in sin, so Jesus becomes our representative before God. And, and, and in the grace of Jesus Christ, we stand. And so the grace of God overflows to the many. And so if we are in Christ, the effects of the gospel are that we stand in the grace of God. See the contrast through Adam, uh, sin and death are introduced through Jesus Christ. Grace comes to the many. Grace stands in opposition to death and sin. It's the grace and the mercy of God, the undeserved favor that overflows to you and I when we are in Jesus Christ, according to verse 15. Verse 16, Paul continues again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. So there's a massive difference. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. So did you see that through Adam's single sin, through the rebellion against God, it just took one moment of madness, one moment of rebelling against God. Judgment comes. Judgment and condemnation are brought and introduced through Adam. So you and I who are not in Jesus Christ, well, we stand under the judgment of God. We stand under the judgment of God and we are brought into condemnation. We stand condemned before God the Father. And that was all because of one sin. But notice how how much more amazing the gift is, the gift of salvation is. But the gift followed many sins and brought justification. So one sin introduces judgment and condemnation. But the the gift of God's salvation uh, follows many, many, many thousands, millions of sins and brings justification. In other words, the effect of justification is so much more powerful because it covers a multitude of sins. Remember that little word once again, uh, reminding us that we are justified before God. We stand just as if I had never sinned. And so through the gift of grace, through Jesus Christ, justification comes to those who believe in him. And so if you are in Jesus Christ, you are no longer condemned. You are no longer under judgment in contrast uh, to, to Adam. So if you're in Adam, you're under judgment and condemnation. But if you're in Jesus, you are justified just as if you'd never sinned. You are counted righteous. See, in verse 17, Paul continues, he says, If for by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And so you see that through Adam, death reigned. Through Adam, Adam death reigned over every single one of us. Death was death and, and, and spiritual death and condemnation and judgment. Uh, holds, hold, holds us in slavery, holds us captive if we are in Adam. And so when we look at the world out there, when we look at people who have got no regard for God or His precious gift, we see people who are living with death reigning supreme. And how often don't you watch documentaries? How often don't you watch people searching for something in this life, searching for more in this life, but yet death reigns. Uh, death is the final the final blow for them. Death is like so final. Death is the saddest moment uh, in a person's life to lose a loved one because death is so final. And if you're not in Christ, death is a tragic moment because you die in condemnation. You die in judgment. See, death reigns like a slave driver. Death reigns over humanity through one man's fall, through Adam's trespass. 
But in Jesus, this gift, this amazing gift, all those who receive the God's abundant provision of grace. Don't you love that term, verse 17, God's abundant provision of grace. In contrast to those where sin reigns and rules over your life and death is king, if you are in Jesus, you have God's abundant provision. God's more than enough provision of grace and this righteousness reigns in our life and we reign with Christ. The gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Life reigns over us. Through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, life now reigns over us if we are in Jesus. And so we are no longer under judgment. We are no longer under condemnation. Death no longer rules and reigns over us. Righteousness reigns through Christ and reigns in life. Life is life. We have abundant life. We have eternal life. We have the promise of eternal future in Jesus Christ. You see the contrast between the first man and Jesus, Adam and Jesus? So being in Jesus Christ stands in contrast to being uh, in the world under Adam and under sin and judgment and condemnation. And of course, aren't we told in that beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Where, O death, is your sting? See, the sting of death, the sting of sin is removed in Jesus Christ. His righteousness secures for us an eternal future. And you may be saying, Quentin, yes, we've heard this a lot in these first couple of chapters. It seems like Paul is simply repeating himself from a different angle. That's exactly what's happening in the book of Romans. Remember, Paul is writing to the Roman church to introduce his gospel. And so from every aspect, he's trying to remind us of the great gift of salvation, the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He's used the example of, of Abraham. He's used the, uh, the, the law as a, as, as a pointer to, to the grace of God. And now here he uses Adam and contrasts Adam and Jesus to, to get the same result, to drive home the same point. And what a beautiful message, isn't that, for us as we look towards Easter weekend, as we look towards that moment where we remember the price that was paid for us in full. The death that you and I deserve to die the, for our sin, introduced, brought, brought into the world through Adam. The condemnation that we face is totally removed. Jesus, in fact, takes our condemnation. He takes our judgment. In fact, he dies. So death seems to have the victory. But three days later, he rises from the grave and reminds us that life in Jesus Christ is eternal. It's not just life in this world, but it's life in the future with God one day. So righteousness reigns in the life of those who are in Jesus Christ. And you see in verse 18, Paul continues, he says, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men and women, so because of Adam's sin, condemnation for all men and women. So also the result of one act of righteousness. So in the same way that sin comes into the world through Adam and mankind and womankind fall, so in one act of righteousness, the one act of righteousness, the righteous life of Jesus Christ came into this world, stepped down from eternity, left his, his throne, uh, and, and he stepped down into the world, becomes one of us. He, he walks and he lives the perfect life here on planet Earth, the perfect human being. And yet uh, on the cross, he pays the price. Uh, this righteous man dies in, uh, for the unrighteous. And in that one act comes justification that brings life for all men and women. Life, folk. We can have life this morning in Jesus Christ. And you may not have much. I don't know what your circumstances are. 
I don't know where you find yourself this morning. But what a beautiful reminder again. It's not about what we have in this world. It's not about what we've achieved in this world. It's not about how powerful we are in this life, how successful. No, no. You know what? It's about knowing Jesus. Because it doesn't matter who you are, where you find yourself this morning. If you are in Christ, you have life. You have life. You have eternal life. And you can look forward to a place. A place where there will be no more suffering. There will be no more hardship. There will be no more deep ravishing effects of sin over our lives. Our bodies will no longer be deteriorating. We won't be facing and seeing the brutality of suffering and ill health. We won't be facing the harm that we see in our world. The brutality and the human depravity that we see around us. That brings so much pain and suffering. See folk, that is the promise of Jesus Christ. That for a little while, our light and momentary troubles are securing for us an eternal future. And so if you are in Jesus, that one act of righteousness, verse 18, has brought you life. And so you are truly alive this morning. You have eternal life. You have the Spirit of God working in you. So through Adam, condemnation comes. Through Jesus, justification comes. Verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. So through, through Adam, through, through Eve, we were made sinners. And so our status before God, our standing before God was sinner. You're a sinner in rebellion to God. That, that, and remember, sin, sin is not so much what we do that is wrong, what we say that is wrong what we think that we wrong is wrong sin is actually a state before god a posture a position before god because we are sinners we do evil because we are sinners we speak evil because we are sinners we act out our evil so the effects that we of the sinfulness and the, and, the, and and the brutality and the depravity we seeing are seeing around us are effects of of someone standing as a sinner before god in rebellion to god and what jesus does is he changes our position He changes our status before God, as it were. You see that in verse 19, So also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. And so in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous. We are declared righteous. So if you are not in Jesus, you are a sinner. And so you will do sinful things. You will live out your sinful nature. But if you are in Christ Jesus, your status has changed. You are declared righteous righteous and remember it's not an inferred righteousness it's an imputed righteousness so, so to, when we are saved god doesn't reach in and remove our sinful nature and we become perfect human beings not at all no we still wrestle against our sinful nature we battle against our sinful nature because our righteousness is an imputed righteousness and that means it's a declaration that is made about us our status changes but we still struggle with our sinful nature And the promise of Scripture is that one day when we die, this body of sin, as Paul calls it, will finally be dealt with. So if you want to be perfect, you have to die. And part of the death is that our physical body dies and catches up with where our spirit is. In many ways, I use that little phrase, catches up very reverently. In other words, who we are in Christ ultimately will be reflected in our new heavenly bodies, where we will be made perfect. But for the now, we live in what we call the now, but not yet. So yes, we are perfect now. We are declared righteous. It's this imputed declaration that goes about. So God of heaven declares you and I as sinners to be righteous. Our status before him changes. We are now children of God. 
And so we walk with this imputed righteousness and uh, we wrestle against our flesh. We battle against our flesh. But on that day, the promise of scripture, when you die, your body will be perfect. You will have a new heavenly body that reflects the change that has taken place in your heart. There will no longer be a sinful nature. There will no longer be the effects of sin in your life. And that is the beauty of, of, of eternity. You know, whether we go back to the garden, whether we go back to a new city, what heaven is like, all those questions are actually unimportant because the one thing that is important, there will be no sinfulness. There will be no brokenness. You and I will be perfect. We will be perfect in our thoughts, our words, our actions, because our, uh, our salvation comes into its own. It's completed. It's fulfilled uh, once we die and once we are with Christ. But until then, we are declared righteous. So we walk uh, as righteous people. And that's why Peter can say we have everything we need for life and godliness. So God has given us everything we need to battle our sinful nature, to walk in victory, and to wrestle and to struggle against our brokenness because we have been declared righteous. And it's in Jesus Christ that we are, we are made righteous. And what a beautiful thought, isn't it, that as God looks at me today, He doesn't see my sin, He doesn't see my brokenness. My sin and my brokenness is not held against me. In fact, as when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees a child of God. He sees you and I as perfect because of the finished work of the cross. And that is why Paul can call Jesus the gift in verse 15. See, this righteousness is not through our obedience. Did you notice that in verse 19? It's through the obedience of one man that we are made righteousness. We are made righteous. So it's, the answer to sin is not you and I doing more or trying to be more righteous. The answer to sin is the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness. His act of obedience. And, and so we, it's, it's interesting. And many people argue and say, Yeah, but you know, Adam sinned. I didn't sin. But you know what? Adam, uh, the sinfulness of Adam is passed down from generation to generation to generation. Sin is so genetic to us as human beings. And so, so he's like the universal head of, of sin. But in the same way, Jesus Christ, you know, the, the one act of righteousness, his, his righteousness uh, is imputed to us in the same way that Adam's sin is imputed to us and becomes part of who we are. So the righteousness of Christ uh, is ours if we are in Jesus. We are made righteous. And so in verse 20, Paul reminds us again, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. The law was given to remind us and to highlight how sinful we really are. So if you're not convinced, just go and read the Bible and see how far you fall short. But notice Paul says, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So as we look around us, we see the depravity of man and things just seem to be getting worse, don't they? It seems like just when you thought we've seen everything, even worse happens. And you can't believe the the brutality, the, the bloodlust, the, the, the hatred that exists in the human heart or even as a possibility of existing. And so, sin seems to just be getting worse and worse. And we often, we often talk about that, don't we? We talk about how our world seems to be spinning out of control and getting worse and worse. But the, the message of the gospel this morning to you and I is where sin increases, grace increases even more. So grace doesn't just match the sinfulness of humanity. Grace is far abundantly more than we all we, than we need. The grace of God at work in your life 
is not just matching your sinfulness, just, just, just paying the debt or just covering your sinfulness. The grace of God at work in you is more than you will ever need. It's abundantly more. Remember, Paul has already told us that it's this abundant gift of grace. The abundant gift of grace that has come to us. And so uh, your salvation, your imputed righteousness is more than enough. It doesn't just cover your sin. No, it pays for it in full and more. And so as you walk uh, this morning, as you live this morning before God, as a believer in Jesus Christ, there is nothing you can do that will, uh, that will make grace or turn grace out of your reach. There is nothing you can do that will be so bad that the grace of God is not able to cover it. You see, the grace of God increases exponentially more than sin will ever increase in our lives and in the world. The grace of God is so much greater. And that's what, Adam, what, what Paul wants us to, to, to get from these little verses. Yes, what happened in Adam was tragic. Yes, it is disastrous. The effects are seen all around us. But what has happened in Christ is so much greater. Jesus is far greater. And Adam doesn't stand a chance in light of the cross, in light of the finished work of the cross. Verse 21, so just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, so sin reigns in death. We see that in the world around us. We see it all over the place. But grace reigns through righteousness in your heart, my heart, those who believe to bring eternal life. And so we are guaranteed, we can know this morning that we are saved. We can know this morning that we will foresee eternal life. We will be brought into the promise of Scripture. It's as certain as you and I, even uh, listening to this, this recording this morning, as certain as you are hearing my words, the words of Jesus Christ will be fulfilled on that day. And so grace may reign in our lives right now. So despite the sinfulness of the world, grace reigns in our hearts through the righteousness of Christ. And we are guaranteed of eternal life through our Lord Jesus. And that is why we call it the now but not yet. We live in a now, the broken now, the messed up now. We wrestle with the, the now part of our own, uh, our own humanity. But we also have the not yet. We have the Spirit of God in us. We have the promise of eternal life. And we have the promise of eternity with Jesus. And how is this possible? Well, through the cross. Through what the, this event that we're going to be celebrating next week at Easter. And we have moved from death to life. Death no longer reigns through the disobedience of Adam. But righteousness now reigns through the obedience of Christ in us. And this is the gift, the grace of God. And isn't this just a beautiful comparison? And so as you look at your life this morning, you might be struggling with guilt. You might be wrestling with uh, regrets. You might look back over your life and say, but Quentin, I've, I've lived such a messed up life. Even my Christian walk, I've dropped the ball so many times. Uh, and you know what? As you look back, may I invite you not to look back with regret, but to look back knowing that the grace of God has covered all those failures. The blood of Jesus Christ has covered all those sins, has all that brokenness. It no longer stands against you. It no longer reigns. The disobedience, the brokenness of Adam no longer reigns in your life. It no longer has the final say if you are in Jesus. If you are in Jesus Christ right now, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation. Your guilt does not have to destroy you. Your regret does not have to own you. 
because you know why the price has been paid in full through the obedience of one man we are set free we are declared righteous we become children of God and the promise of eternal life is ours and so why don't you this morning take those regrets those that brokenness that guilt to the cross take it to the cross and leave it there leave it at the foot of the cross where the price for it was paid and walk in the freedom that has been secured for you because now righteousness reigns through the obedience of Jesus Christ in your life. And maybe this morning you are sitting listening to this recording and saying, Quinton Shawan, I realize that I am still in the old in Adam. I have never transitioned. I've never, uh, I am not in Christ, as the Bible uses that terminology. I'm not in Jesus, but I'm in Adam. I'm still governed by sin and death and brokenness, by my sinfulness. Well, John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us all that you need to do uh, to transition, to move from being under the first Adam under being added to, to, to being under the second Adam, Jesus Christ, to being under the gift. Well, it happens by simply receiving the gift of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us to all who believed in his name, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So when you believe in Jesus, you receive him as Lord. You are given the right to become a child of God. And John nails us home by saying it's not a decision by any human being or by any father or by any husband. No, you are made a child of God because of the declaration of God himself. God gives you the right to be his child when you are in Jesus Christ. But you need to receive the gift. You need to take hold of this gift of justification. And so when you do take hold of this gift, you are no longer in judgment. You are no longer under condemnation. You have moved from death to life. The grace of God rules and reigns in your life. And that's what it means to be victorious. The victory is not built on our success, our performance. The victory is built on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so Christian, persevere. Child of God, persevere. Stand firm. Hold fast to this great salvation. Don't allow your sin, don't allow the brokenness to convict you and condemn you and point fingers at you. Just point that sin, that brokenness, that guilt back to the cross, to the finished work of the cross. And that is the wonderful message of Easter. That is the wonderful moment. The moment when God steps in and saves us, rescues us and gives us a different future, a different destiny. A destiny to be with him forever and ever. And what a beautiful comparison. One man, Adam, but one man much greater, Jesus Christ. And so when you think about those little boys sitting on the, on the playground comparing their dads four by fours with their buckies, you can think of Paul sitting there uh, in, in prison writing to the Romans or, and saying to him, man, hey, you think Adam was, 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 was dangerous and Adam was great. Adam led us into a massive sin. Well, hey man, Jesus is so much greater. His grace is so much better. His salvation can never, ever be matched. And Adam will never, ever, ever be a match for Jesus Christ. Your sin will never, ever, ever, ever be a match for the Savior of the world. And when Jesus hangs on the cross and says, it is finished. The job of rescuing, the mission of rescuing was completed. The price was paid in full. Through the one act of obedience, the many will be made righteous. What a beautiful message. May you walk 
in the hope of the gospel this day. Let us pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for this great comparison that just highlights that, yes, sin is deadly. Yes, sin is devastating. Yes, the fall of man in Genesis 3 is terrible. But the good news of the greater man, Jesus Christ, what he has achieved, what he has achieved for us, what he has made possible for us. Thank you for this great gift of justification. Thank you for this great gift of salvation. Thank you that we as undeserving sinners this morning can stand before you declared righteous, declared holy with a promise of eternity, with a promise of a fact of being co-heirs and heirs with Jesus. Undeserving, but yet blessed by you with this great gift. I pray that we would take hold of our salvation and we would walk in the freedom that comes with knowing Jesus, that we would walk in the freedom of forgiveness, that death will no longer reign over our lives and our thoughts, but the righteousness of Christ will reign in our hearts and will bring change and will bring perseverance and endurance, that we will hold on to our faith, we will persevere until the end, until we see that great promise of eternal life coming into fulfillment. And thank you that you've promised us that we are not alone in this battle, that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have given us the Holy Spirit. And I pray that he would walk with us, encourage us, uh, and use these words of Scripture to really bring a renewed and refreshed hope in the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.